That was lovely. I do love cello. One of my favorite instruments. Just beautiful. And Pastor Sam, good job. Thank you for that. <clears throat> you have a fan. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> um, so to update on my wife, uh, she is doing good. Um, she is, the block is kind of wearing off, so she's starting to hurt a little bit more. And uh, until then, you know, they you can walk around, you know, all kinds of stuff, you don't feel it, and all of a sudden, the medicine goes away, and you're like, oh, wait, I had something happen to my leg here. But uh, the surgeon went good, she's doing fine, she just is allergic to, not allergic, but she has an adverse reaction to anesthesia, and makes her sick, so she's been very sick the last three days, a lot of... Um, uh, just nausea and all, everything that goes along with that. But that's also wearing off, so she's doing a lot better, and she's moving around. And, um, and I'm, I'm having to say, okay, you don't have to go, you know, do that in the kitchen or whatever. Let Emily. And so <clears throat> now her, her mother also was here. I took her mother to the airport at 4, 4.30 this morning. But her mother was here, and her mother came last time, and she takes care of her and babies her and and, uh, and it's nice. So actually, I, I kind of leave them alone a lot uh, in the process. So, no, I, I like my mother-in-law. She's a, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, a couple of things. One is the, uh, so, so here's what happened. Um, this was kind of, this is kind of on me, and by kind of, I mean like totally on me. Um, so last spring, we haven't had a children's production for, a Christmas production for a few years, and I like children's Christmas productions for a lot of reasons. And, and um, so we were talking about it. We want to have a children's production. So then a couple months later, uh, we hire Emily to be children's pastor. And she comes to me and says, I want to do a children's production. I'm like, great. We're on the same page. I want to do this. And then I had this amazing idea, like epiphany. Um, Christmas lands on Sunday morning this year. We should do the Christmas play on Sunday morning, Christmas morning. Because in my thinking, nobody's doing anything on Christmas morning. They could come to a production. And so um, <clears throat> as we've gotten closer to this, I think there's like four kids left to do the production. So uh, we're not doing a production on Christmas morning because apparently the kids want to open presents and be selfish and stuff like that. So... <laughs> So we're not going to do anything on Christmas morning, but we're still having our two uh, Christmas Eve um, services Saturday night, and uh, we're doing a little different thing that uh, Rick has created for us, and it's really nice. I think you'll really like that. But so no Christmas production on Sunday morning. Just stay home and do all the Christmas present stuff and whatever you want to do. So... Um, and I do want to warn you. Again, I take this as my personal responsibility as a pastor trying to stay consistent with Scripture, we know that uh, opening presents on Christmas Eve is of the devil. And so, because Jesus didn't open Christmas presents the day before he was born. So, so be careful as it gets closer. Don't fall into the trap of opening Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. Um, you know, I noticed this year, this is just a little side thing. I noticed that uh, one of the Christmas songs, I forget which one it is right now, but I, I think it's called, I think it is the Christmas song, you know, chestnuts roasting. And all. 
But it says, talks about tiny little sleigh, tiny little Christmas, and eight tiny little reindeer. I've never seen a tiny little Christmas, I mean a little Santa and a tiny little reindeer. They're always life-size. I wonder if maybe we have that wrong. Maybe we're looking for the wrong thing is why we don't always see it. I don't know, just... So, um, so one other thing that I did want to mention, um, Cynthia, why don't you stand up there, back there if you don't mind. Um, so Cynthia is, has put together a trip to go to Israel, and uh, we were going to try to do one as a church. We can't, we have not been able to make that happen. She's got a trip together, and um, is Joel going with you? No, he's not on that one. Um, the reason I ask is, we brought Joel Richardson to our church last summer. Um, she's actually the person that connected me with Joel. She knows Joel. I've known him for years. But uh, this is going to be an informative trip, educational, spiritual, all the things that you want to do when you go to Israel. So if you're interested, she's got flyers. She's got information about that. Please consider uh, doing that. I, I personally think that as a Christian, one of the greatest things you can ever do is to visit um, Israel, to visit Jerusalem. There's just something about that that it's just a spiritual thing. Um, Lynn and I have only been once, and we want to go again. But just just being where you know Jesus walked, this isn't this isn't just a good history thing like like Washington D.C. or something. Your Savior walked there. Um, out on the Sea of Galilee, he did the same thing. I mean, that was a that was for Lynn and I was one of the more spiritual moments. It's not at the tomb and stuff because you don't even know if that's a real tomb, but. But out on the Sea of Galilee and the wind picks up and you're thinking, this is exactly like it was. Not close, exactly. So consider doing that. Talk to her. She's got some information about that. So I was looking at the uh, the Pew Research poll this last week. And it said, this is not Christians, this is Americans. Just everybody in America. 55% of Americans believe that Jesus will return. That's, that's an interesting statistic to me. It, it could be a positive statistic. I think it is a positive statistic. But then the other side is, I don't think 55% of the country is living like they think Jesus is going to return, right? There's that weird, that's a weird tension there that says, you know, what do we believe? But is, there, is it really, are we, is our life really about this? Is this really who we are? And that, that's just an interesting statistic to me. I don't, that's all I, I have on that. But then 40% of Americans believe that we're in the end times. This is, when, you, when you look at the news and when you look at stuff going around the country, that is not what our country appears to be. Now, I believe that, that the media makes it like a tiny, small percentage of our country sound really loud and really big. And it, and it like, this is what we all think and believe. And we know that's not true. But 40% of the country thinks that we're in the end times. That's, that's um, interesting to me. So, so I want to want to look at Christmas this morning from um, maybe a little different <clears throat> perspective. And, the, and last year I talked about one of the messages I talked about for Christmas was having to do with the star, and that I think the star was was real, and I think it was specifically created by God to just show the way to Bethlehem. I'm going to read some of that again. I want to show you something else about the star, I think, this morning. Now, now this is something you've heard me talk about this um, every now and then. I'll bring this up in a message or, or something like this. But uh, this, what I call uh, biblical cosmology. What that means is the, um, the, um, the, the way the Bible discusses, like, 
the, the universe and earth and things like that in such a way that, that it shows us things about God without actually, without actually having to say things, say it about God, okay? Um, so we're going to look at some of this in Genesis, but to, to, to where you've got the heavens, you've got the earth. Um, a few, uh, like a month or two ago, I talked about this when it, came, when it comes to intimacy, intimacy and relationship, intimacy with God, and I talked about the voice of God hovers over the waters in Genesis. Well, well, we see the heavens, and anytime you see the heavens in a general sense in Scripture, that's talking about where God is or God's uh, domain or where God uh, resides that comes from that kind of thing, okay? And, and you say, well, God's everywhere. He, he is everywhere at all times, but here's the interesting thing. Even though God is omnipresent, there are very specific places in Scripture where it says he's here and he's here and he's doing this. Like uh, in the, after the cross, this is very important because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. That means God is there on his throne, and he's sitting, and Jesus is beside him on his throne, sitting beside God the Father. That kind of changes the understanding we have of omnipresent. Even though they are omnipresent, this is why Jesus, and this was the message that uh, Pastor Vomer preached last week here, was this is why Jesus said that he is leaving us the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is who is actively engaged and in charge of our lives. We, we say things like, well, Jesus is in my heart. That's a true statement. It's not an incorrect statement. But it, it, it actually would be a little more accurate if we would say, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in my heart, my mind and my spirit, that kind of thing, right? So, so this is kind of some language that we see in Scripture where when it talks about the heavens, we're seeing this is God's realm. When it talks about the earth, this is the, the, the physical or the material realm. And this is where we used to have authority over. We're still supposed to have authority over, but we gave that authority to Satan. And Scripture says that he's the one in charge of the earth now, okay? So then you've got these human beings that are in between. And this is where this, this all through Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, you constantly see these verbiage. Um, where the, you've got the, the people that are in, the in between and we're trying to reach for God kind of thing. Uh, one of the best examples is in John 3 at the baptism of Jesus when, when uh, we see God speak from heaven. Now, again, he's omnipresent, but he specifically wanted them to know he's speaking from up there, the up there-ness, right? <clears throat> That's, this, this is the biblical cosmology that says the heavens are where God is. Not, not in a distance from us, because we know that he is also <clears throat> intimately involved in our existence. But in the understanding of how we can see God relating to us and processing information, we see where God is in the heavens. We see Jesus standing on the earth, and he's standing in the water. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Holy Spirit comes and descends in the form of a dove and hovers in between. And Jesus, in physicalness, in flesh, is on the earth, in the material. But the Holy Spirit hovering above, he's, this, is, this is a picture for us. Again, it's all through Scripture. This is a picture that we, we have the choice. Can we reach up to the Spirit of God so that we can transcend time and space and connect with our Heavenly Father in the spiritual realm? That's a spiritual thing. And we're physical people, and the Holy Spirit is the go-between. He's the guy that makes that all happen. That's the cosmology of that. And so we're going to see a little bit of this. In, um, and, and by the way, that's the way all of creation saw this stuff 
for thousands of years. It's only the last few hundred years that we've started coming into this age of science and reasoning and things like that, where we understand the material world on such an analytical level that I believe one of the things it's done is it's taken away the spiritual cosmology that we get throughout Scripture. Now, God, for, for example, like the, the breath of God hovered above the waters. Well, we understand water now as H2O, right? Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. But that's not the way it was understood for a long time. The, the water was the place, kind of the, the ethereal place between the, the heavens and the earth. We, we see this in the, in, the, in the breath of God or the pneuma that we understood. Now, now we, can, we can talk about wind, we can talk about the ground, and we can talk about the sky, and we've got telescopes that help us to see the stars and all this other kind of stuff. And that's good because God is still the creator of everything, and the, the things that we are unfolding and understanding, like the elements and, and astronomy and all that kind of stuff, God made it all, and he's, it's not like he's surprised by the science of it. Okay, he, he made the science of it. But I think if we're not careful, and this is also a big thing in society in general sense, we think we're so smart and we understand so much stuff scientifically that it begins to, in our spirit first, and I believe even in life second, it begins to eclipse the actual spiritualness and the etherealness that comes along with God. That, that he is that, that breath that hovers above the waters. And you may not be able to explain that in a scientific sense, but that's still who he is. And we see this all through scripture that God just shows up in a bush and, and burns the bush, but it doesn't burn up. Because why? He's still in charge of all the things. Still in charge of all of the scientific things we understand. And then he does something like that. And we're like, well, that couldn't have happened because we don't understand it. And I think most of the time that's actually God's plan. Is to, to do something that we don't understand. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 1. And this is about Christmas, by the way, but we'll get there. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I talked about this a month or two ago, that you got, the, you got the heavens, you got the earth, all the things that I just said. Now, here's the thing. This is the very first thing God does. This is in the beginningness of what we call creation. Now, you've got to keep in your mind, as you're reading the creation account, God is outside of creation. He is outside of time. He is outside of space. He is outside of light and darkness in this context right here in Genesis 1. God is outside of that. Because one of the things we know is that God is light. So now he's creating light. But what's he doing? He is light, but he is creating light for this environment that we call creation. And that's a very small thing in comparison to God. It includes all of our, our as far as we know, our solar system, everything includes all of that. But God is outside of that, and he's created this thing, and then he puts light into the middle of this thing. And it's the first thing he does. Why? Because he's light. Okay? God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. That's an interesting thing to me, because he puts light into this creation, and then later he separates it from the darkness. I don't know. I don't understand that. It doesn't comprehend in my head. You either have light or darkness. You know I'm both. But he puts the light into this. And by the way, darkness is not sin here. <clears throat> I've had people get confused about that. Well, you have the light and the darkness. You've got good and you've got evil. That is not there's no evil here. And so God separates the light 
from the darkness, God called the light day and the darkness night. <clears throat> and the next part of this sentence, this next sentence he says, <clears throat> I don't know if God coughed, but he might have before he did it. But <clears throat> then he says, and evening passed and morning came marking the first day. Now, I am a very, I'm very uh, literalist when it comes to scripture. If it says it, I believe it. And I believe that sentence right there tells me that creation was created in seven 24-hour day cycles. And I know all kinds of scientists explain how it, it took thousands of years and, and you know, an evolution. But, but I don't believe in evolution at all. I don't, believe, I don't believe science can prove evolution. It's never proved it. it every time it tries to prove it, they've got to add another billion years to get it done. And, and it doesn't prove it. I believe in a literal seven-day creation. And here's the reason I think he had that last sentence there is because he was trying to explain this is, the, this is the day cycle. You got light, you got darkness. This marked the first 24-hour day of creation. Now, this is interesting because let's go down to verse 14. God said, let lights appear in the sky. Do you know what day this is? Foe. This is the fourth day. Now look at this. Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. This is the fourth day. He made light and separated light from darkness on the first day. Let these lights shine in the sky down on the earth. And this is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day. See, this is all, this is all visuals for people to understand what he's doing. He's not explaining this in a scientific sense, but it covers all the science stuff. And that's where scientists have gotten confused, not non-God science, is, well, they, th these people didn't understand the science, so they were just describing something. But God understands the science because he made it, and he's telling them what to describe. So he gets the science. He made two lights. The larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. That's the sun. He also made the stars. I, I find that interesting the way he says that. He, God could have said... And, and words do matter. And by the way, if, when you're saying in, in the Bible, words do matter, you really need to kind of check it with the Hebrew and the Greek to make sure that the right words are in the right place. But words do matter. And why God uses the, and puts phrases together the way he does. He says he also made the stars. Now, we understand that our sun is a star. So why did he say, he ma and then he made the stars? Because why didn't, we just, why didn't we just know that that's the case? Now, I'm saying from today's concept of science and reasoning, well, we know that when he made the sun, well, he made all the other stars. Except that's not what he said. See, I think this is a, I think this is a small thing that has a lot of big implication, and it's the same concept as when God says he created the animals, and then he created man from the dust of the earth and breathed life to him. He didn't say he created animals that way. He said he just created them. Then he created man from the dust of the earth. I believe this is what God is doing here, is he said, I created the sun. In other words, I created the place where all the humans are going to live, the sun, the solar system, the earth, all this stuff. I created this stuff. And by the way, he created the sun four days later. Four days into creation, he created the sun. The planet was already here. The light was already here. And then he creates the sun. Why? And then why does he say he creates the stars second? Because he puts all of this and puts us at the center of it. This is one of the reasons that society so desperately wants human beings to be the great evil. Humans are the evil. I just went and saw Avatar, the second Avatar yesterday. 
I like the first Avatar, and I like this one. But, man, it's a liberal load, I'm telling you. People are the bad. People are bad. Guys, people are not bad. The only reason any of this exists is because of people. God didn't create the earth so that a, a, a puma can be the center of the earth. It's humans. We are the center. You're the focus of God. It's not your little dog. You are the focus of God. Some of you are like, but my dog, I don't care. You are the focus. You. When, you. when you can grab onto that, the earth was created to put you on it because you are the reason. The earth is not the reason. Do you understand how that is countercultural today? The earth is not the point. The go green is a religion that worships earth. We are supposed to be the center and we worship God. This, this is about you. And so then he says, <clears throat> then he says, um, God set these lights in the sky to light the earth. And I think he could have said, so that people will understand where the light's coming from. You say, no, it's because that's the, that's the, um, the gravitational pull and that's how the planets work and they go around. And it, yeah, because God made it that way. There wasn't a sun when he first created the planet. What was it doing? What was the planet doing? It wasn't going around the sun. It didn't exist. God made all this stuff. God designed all this stuff. And why does he do it? Because he wants us to know he's God. Above everything, he's God. That's the, the point of this. God set the lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Four days into this thing. So now, that's, that's the foundation that I want our brains to be thinking about as we go into this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? When we saw his star, I think that's so important. These guys were astronomers. They'd been, they'd been looking at this for their whole life. They, they grew up studying this, doing this stuff. They knew all the stars and knew where they all were and everything. And then they saw a new star. And they followed this new star. Now, I've seen the Discovery Channel thing. And you can watch it. It's actually very interesting. It's just not true um, about how Venus lines up with this other planet. And that planet, it lighted up in the sky. And that did all that. And I talked about a lot of this last year. But here's the thing is just put yourself on a different place on the planet. And that doesn't work. Same thing with the blood moon. You guys ever studied the blood moon and all that kind of stuff? I, I really appreciate John Hagee. I respect him greatly, but that book was junk. It didn't have anything to do with reality, either biblical or scientific. Because wherever you are on the planet, the blood moon's different. How can it be, how can it be a thing? Read the book and then you understand how bad it was. So, but I'm, I like him, so I want you to read his books, you know, so he makes money, but whatever. So they said, when his star, when Jesus' star, we saw it as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, this, this is the part where the statistic I read at first, 55% of, of Americans believe Jesus is going to return. Why aren't, why aren't you doing something about it? Why aren't you living like that? Shouldn't something look like that? Shouldn't we act different 
in life, at work, in government, and something, something, shouldn't something, shouldn't we at least stop killing babies if we think Jesus is going to return? Shouldn't something be different? Now, here's the deal. He was deeply disturbed, so his answer is, I'm going to try to get all the babies killed so I can get rid of that Messiah. <clears throat> if he's the Messiah, you can't kill him. Right? You say, well, you did. Jesus voluntarily gave himself on that cross. King Herod didn't kill him, neither did anybody. King Herod was already dead. But King, nobody killed Jesus. Because of our sin, he voluntarily went to that cross. And, and King Herod, he called a meeting of the leading priests, teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. Oh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east, it was just in the east, <clears throat> guided them to Bethlehem. Now this is one of the things, this is why when I take scripture literally, I think this is important. This star guided them to Bethlehem. It didn't say the scripture guided them to Bethlehem. They had already said that. But it says the star guided them to Bethlehem. Now, when I was in the Navy, <clears throat> one of my, um, my job in the Navy was uh, navigation. And um, you have to learn, when you do that, you have to learn how to, to um, navigate a ship old style, old school. When I'm saying old school, I'm saying uh, a thousand years ago, not like back in the 1960s. But how do you guide, how do you navigate a ship old school? You have to do it by the stars, and you have to use an azimuth, and you have to, yeah, there's other things that you're, that you're doing, right? You have to plot your course according to the stars. Well, here's something that I learned. Um, things like the North Star. You know, you always know where the North Star is, you know, well, Here's, here's what happens. Let's say you're being guided by the North Star. It doesn't take you to a place. It takes you to a direction. You can continue. If you can move fast enough, depending on the rotation of the earth and direction you're going, you can follow that North Star forever. Did you know that? It doesn't lead you to a place. It's not you get to the end of the North Star and the North Star is right there and there's a Burger King or something. It's not you, you don't go to a place. It's a direction. This star in the east was leading them a direction until they got to Israel, and then it led them to a place, not a direction. I, I strongly believe that this star came right over, which means, obviously, you understand, it wasn't a sun. You realize our sun and our, and our uh, solar system is one of the smallest suns out there? So... So if God's, well, I'll just move this sun right over here over Bethlehem. Poof, no earth. <laughs> and, and, and I'm pretty sure God would have known that was going to happen. So it wasn't a planet. I believe God that brought a star and just hovered it right over. But you say, but it couldn't have been a star because that's a planet. Remember, God made our sun and he made all the other suns. He can make a tiny little one if he needs to. 
This is not a big thing for him. We, we, this is part of what I'm talking about, about, about our science and reasoning so takes out the, our faith and understanding that God is still in charge of everything. I'll tell you one of the biggest in Scripture that, is, that has got me, talking about the sun, is when God stopped the sun from, or the earth from rotating around the sun in Scripture. And by the way, astronomers have proven that happened. And God stopped the sun from setting is the way it says. In other words, he stopped the planet from spinning around the sun, just stopped it. Well, why didn't we all fly off? Why didn't, all, why didn't the oceans destroy the whole planet? You know, all the stuff that's supposed to happen. Because God's in charge of it all. And he wanted them to be able to fight in the light. That's what happened there. I don't understand that stuff. But God is in charge of everything, including the laws of nature. So it hovers over Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Not just Bethlehem, but over the house. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you know I have to pick on this, because I do every year. How many wise men were there? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. There was a, we always say three, right? There were three wise men. Where do we get that from? We get that from that sentence. One of them had gold, one of them had frankincense, and one of them had myrrh. So there had to have been three. There wasn't three. If you read the story, there was a bunch of them. That Christmas tradition says three. Now, if you say, no, I think there were three because that's the song I sing. I'm okay with that. The song I sung when I was a kid also said they had rubber cigars, but I'm not holding on to that real strong. <laughs> I, we don't know how many there were. I'm just saying there are things that are tradition that we do because we like to do things like that with God. We like to do tradition things with God. In other words, like the song where it says, Jesus didn't cry, no crying did he make. That one drives me crazy. Babies cry. They make crying. They do make that. They also make other things, by the way. And, and I know this sounds so sacrilegious, but Jesus, he didn't just cry. He also made stuff. Because why? He was a baby. He was a real baby. But we like to do things that put, put I, I, I saw an interview this last week um, that was a, a Muslim doing some teaching about Jesus because it's Christmas season. They do, And he was talking about how they believe that Jesus, um, <clears throat> and, I, and I think they get this from the book of Enoch, but that Jesus, as an infant, like a month old, had a conversation with his mother, Mary, and explained to her his purpose on this earth. Let me help you. No. <laughs> he didn't. Those, those kids, somebody asked me Wednesday night, I forgot it was, but they were talking about this. The Apocrypha, like the Maccabees, um, any of extra books, Enoch, stuff like that. Goes, they're, they're, some of them are okay history books, but they're not theological books. The book of the uh, Gospel of Thomas, that's another one that the Discovery Channel always talks about. Why wasn't it included? Because it's stupid. That's why it wasn't included. The Gospel of Thomas says that this little bird fell and fell to the ground and died, and Jesus was five years old, and he picked it up and healed it. That disagrees with the Bible. The very first miracle Jesus ever does, he explains this is his first miracle. And he told his mom, you're rushing me. 
That's the wedding at Cana. All right? So let's stick with Bible. But, but we do this. We add stuff in that make Jesus, you know, something else. Instead of just saying, he, he explained who he is. Let's just let it be that. Let's just let Jesus be who he said he was. And by the way, he's the redeemer of the whole planet. He's the God of everything. And he dies specifically for you and I. That's, that's more than enough. He didn't have to heal a bird at five for me to believe in him. I just take him for what he says. So here's the question. Why a star? And this is, this is where I'm coming to. Why a star? <clears throat> I'm not actually asking you. I have the answer. Well, this is just, this is just uh, my supposition here, okay? It doesn't tell us why it's exactly a star, but this is the way my brain works. You know that if you've been around here long enough. Why are there certain things like this? Why didn't God use something besides a star? He could have done anything, right? He could have used anything to say, to guide the, the wise men to, the, um, to Bethlehem and to the house. He could have used anything. He could have used pictures of unicorns in the sky or anything. Why does he specifically use a star? This is what I think, because this comes back to the, not the, the scientific and reasoning side, which is where I normally land, but this comes back to the visual and the cosmology of this. Remember, God is the one who is light. Jesus is light. God says, this is my son. What better way to do that than a big, bright, white light? Because when Jesus is coming into this world, he is coming into this world to be light. To literally be light. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life one of the things when I first got to Colorado Springs 10, 10 plus years ago, this is one of the things that, that kind of caught me off guard. <clears throat> I've never experienced this exactly like this. But, I, you know, I've done my research about uh, the city, and, I talk, and I've talked about some of that. And, and um, the, the, when I was having conversations with just like the average person in town, and specifically church people and people that worked, and this was the strongest group, people that worked at parachurch organizations. Okay, Colorado Springs, in case you don't know, you probably do, is this parachurch capital of the world. Over 70% of all church ministry organizations are based right here out of Colorado Springs. Okay, Now, with that, I'm having these conversations, and it dawned on me, so I began to dig in and ask a little bit more. A lot of people kind of believed that Colorado Springs was mostly Christian. That was kind of the, the thing. And I even asked a couple people directly, so you think, because I was talking about, you know, witnessing, going, to, and they would say, well, we, you know, there's not really that many people to witness to. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Colorado Springs is very dark. Very, very dark. It's a very ungodly city. Okay? But so are all other cities. And this is one of the interesting things, coming back to the parachurch, this is kind of the proof. This is a, this is a nasty little truth here, but this is a reality. There are, there are more people that work in parachurch organizations, ministry organizations, across Colorado Springs than go to church in Colorado Springs. Percentage-wise, less people go to church than there are that work for parachurch organizations. Now, here's the way I can prove this. Or this is not approving, this is, just a, this is just not good. If you work at a parachurch organization, raise your hand. Don't be scared, I'm not going to pick on you. 
Okay, one, there's more of you than that. Two, okay. My point is, most churches are a tiny percentage. Have, have people that work in church organizations go to their church. So there's already more people that work in church ministry organizations that go to church. And just in our church, there was like six or seven in first service. A, a less than 5% of the church works in a church organization. That's normal across Springs, which tells me what? Most people, most that work in parachurch organizations are not going to church. Those are the people that think our city is mostly light and not dark. Guys, we live in a very dark city. We live in a very... I, I've told you some of this, I'm sure, but when I was, when I was on the board of Sarah's Home and working with the, the, uh, the, the traffic girls, one of the... We would do a lot of studies and, and have them done. One of the things that we found out Actually, a guy came and just told us this. He was an Uber driver that, um, I'm sorry, I got it backwards. He worked for a ministry organization here in town, and an Uber driver picked him up at the airport. And he made a statement, I need to go do this or whatever. And, it, and the Uber driver thought he was asking to be able to be connected to a prostitute. So he the Uber driver told him, do you want an adult or do you want a child? And, and now he's listening with different ears, right? And he says, well, tell me about that. If I, if I want a child, what would I need to do? He said, it's easy. There's, there's three or four places in town I can give you phone numbers for. I can just drop you off, do whatever. Because it's very common. It's very, very common. Our city is very dark. Our city is evil. But here's the thing. Jesus says, he's the light. The Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. I know who I am and I know my claims are valid. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I'm not alone. I don't judge anyone is what he said. You know, if I'm, if I'm a Pharisee, when he says I don't judge anybody, I would say thank you. But they argue. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree with something, their witnesses accept it as fact. I love this because this is one of those moments when, when Jesus is just jabbing the Pharisees. He's just being smart aleck to him, just being sarcastic. He says, you say that you need two witnesses. Well, here's your two witnesses. I'm one of my witnesses, and God's the other. And basically what he's saying is, I don't care what you think. I know what truth is, because I am truth. I am light. I did come to bring this. Here's the second part of this, guys. We're light also. You're a light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. See, I think every time we see the baby Jesus in a manger... It should remind us. I think it should remind us of a few things. I, should, I think first it should remind us that there is that Jesus still has hope in humanity. Jesus wouldn't have come to this earth if he didn't have hope in us, right? He wouldn't die for us if he didn't think it was anybody was going to get saved. He died for us because he knew. He is the hope. He is the answer. He is the light. And, and he brought himself. But he also says, but you need to be the light too. 
Just like he is, you're supposed to be. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Christmas is the best time to talk about Jesus. Let that light shine. Let it shine bright. Use Christmas. Use the stuff. Somebody will have a little Christmas card on their desk with a nativity on it. Talk about that. Say something. Say something about Jesus. He's the guy laying there in the nativity. Use it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. As our, our society is becoming darker and darker, we're, be, we're, we're, <clears throat> we're embracing sin nowadays that we would never have embraced a few decades ago. We're embracing lifestyles, mentalities, everything we would not have embraced. And we just, well, it's just what it is now, you know? It's just what it is. It doesn't have to be for you. Just because Hollywood says this is what life looks like doesn't mean you have to buy it. Just because politicians say this is what life looks like doesn't mean you have to buy it. You can say, I belong to the Lord. So live as people of light. <coughs> For the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Here's the verse. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. I, I really believe this is what we're supposed to see when we see Jesus, the nativity, all this stuff, is I think we're supposed to see the light of the world, that he's God with us, he's Emmanuel, he's come to our existence. So we, shouldn't there be some kind of response from us, something about our lives? You know, this carefully determined what pleases the Lord. I had a meeting, I've told you I've had some of these meetings, I had a meeting yesterday, another one. You, You would be very proud of me, I'm very polite in these meetings. But it was, with a, it was with a state representative, and the only reason for the meeting was for him to explain to me, and he was sent from higher-ups to explain to me how I need to move toward the middle and stop being so conservative. And the reason, I'm not going into detail, but I've, 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 I've had a couple conversations. I sent an email and I had another text thing where I called out, um, I called out a Republican caucus because of their... Their unethical behavior, their dishonesty, the, just everything. Our, our, our Republicans are so broken. They are so dishonest. And they, they, you know, this is the thing. They all claim to be Christians. But they, they, this guy yesterday told me how he was a Christian, and he dropped the F-bomb probably five or six times. I'm sitting there, I thought you were a Christian because Jesus doesn't talk like that. And just, that's right. But it just drives me crazy. And then he said, he said, you know, I know the whole abortion thing. He says, look, I'm pro-life. I'm a Christian. I'm pro-life. I believe that, that life starts at conception with a few caveats. What are caveats? Life begins at conception or it doesn't. There's not other options. What are the caveats? And they're constantly trying to, to Get me. They've sent person after person after person. And, and, and I, and I want to say, guys, I'm not that important. I haven't even done anything yet. Except I have, actually. I've said some things. and I, 
I had some meetings and I, I okay, but, <clears throat> but here, here's the thing with this guys. They, and then he said, well, don't you want to be in leadership someday? Don't you want to be the minority leader or something like that? And I said, no. He said, no, don't speak too soon. You may want to. I said, I don't, you don't understand. I don't even want to do this. I don't want to be in leadership. I don't want that stuff. And he said, but you got to work with everybody. And you got to work toward the middle if you're going to ever be in leadership. And I said, I'm never going to do that. And then I explained to him. I said, here's my job. I said, so there's no confusion because I've told him this before. I said, here's what I'm doing. I'm coming here to bring everybody I possibly can toward God and toward conservatism. And I said, that includes guys like you. I said, until you become a conservative, you're one of the ones I'm pulling. And I said, because I'm not going to compromise. There's nothing you can offer me. You can't offer me a position. You can't offer. They, 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 I don't want to go into detail. They're playing all kinds of games. And I said, you cannot buy me. You don't understand. Why? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And I told the guy. In fact, they had, this is one of the things, that orientation last week. They were going through orientation, how to be a legislator. We're doing all this stuff. And they tell you how to do bills. And it was good. It was healthy. But some of it wasn't. But. But then they said, okay, now introduce you. About 30 of us, they said, go around the room, introduce yourself, give your name, and tell us just a little bit, like a one-sentence statement about you. Everybody's saying all this stuff. Came to me, I said my name, and I said, oh, they said, your goals for being a representative. I said, here's my goal. At the end of this two years, I want God to say to me, you did what I asked. That's all. That's it. Whether I get anything done that somebody thinks is good or whether I accomplish something somebody thinks is good. Guys, I want to know what, I want to carefully determine what pleases the Lord and that's what I want to do. Guys, what, I'm no different than you. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Not get your agenda done. There's always going to be reasons why you can compromise. Somebody, some situation, something's going to give you a reason why compromising is good. Now, this is just between us. Don't let this get out. They don't know that bacon is my kryptonite. But if they offer, I don't know. I mean, I may cave. I don't know. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Take no part, guys. Don't even get close to it. Don't let Satan entice you with darkness. You're the light. You, that's the whole reason for this Christmas. Is Jesus is the light. Let's follow that. Instead, expose them. And I did mention that I am going to be doing that too. That's what irritates them. It's not just that I'm going to stand strong in my convictions. It's that I'm going to intentionally expose them when they're not. And I've made that very clear. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. Guys, it's easy for us to look at people like I'm talking about and say, oh yeah, them. But be careful because light exposes everything in our life too. Let's make sure that our life is exposable ready. I could probably have said that better. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> you know, we, we see things like Jesus made the tree 
that he was going to be hung on, you know, things like that. But Jesus made the light that was going to come shine right over Bethlehem and guide those wise men to him. He is the light. He made that light. He wants us to be that same thing. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we need you. We ask you to bless us with your presence. Lord, bless us with your truth and your word. We need your power. And Lord, we want to be light. You're the light of the world. We want, that you, we want you to shine through us to everybody around us. That Lord, we are truly following you. We belong to you. So Lord, I give you me. Make me a light. I give you my mind. I give you my mouth. I give you my heart. My physical body. Help me be a light. pray this prayer together and this is basically a, um, it's a I guess we'd call it a salvation prayer, a sinner's prayer you say well I'm already a Christian I guess you don't have to pray it but for us to say Jesus I belong to you I'm yours and we just give ourselves to Jesus this morning so everybody in the room why don't you repeat this prayer with me Lord God, I need you more than anything else. I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to serve you with my entire existence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, thank you for letting us in this kingdom. Thank you for letting us in this this body. Thank you for giving us life and forgiveness and grace. Thank you for inviting us and accepting us. Thank you for covering us with your blood, Jesus. Now, Lord, in return, I want to be a light. I want to be your light. That every day I shine you to people. Not me, not what I think. But I shine you and my coworker or some at the grocery store that I shine you to them. Neighbors, and I shine you. And this Christmas when family is coming and everybody's hanging out, Lord, I want to shine you. Lord, I want every person in my household on Christmas morning to know that you're the king. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, give us opportunities this week, next Sunday. Give us opportunities to tell somebody about you. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, give you a whole week for noon next Sunday morning. God's going to give you an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. Guys, don't, don't miss the opportunity. Look for it. Pray for it. Step out there into it.
Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you're here, and we will see you Wednesday night.